Acts 4.32 through 5.11, we're going to be reading about God's community. This is who we are. So let's look at God's word in Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But, chapter 5, verse 1, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Lord, What a passage. Lord, what a message. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for the anointing, the gifting, the gift of teaching to preach your word. Lord, I know you have a message for us this morning through this text. Lord, help me to deliver it. Lord, take every moment I've studied, every moment I've prayed. Lord, you come, you rule and overrule. Lord, you build your church. Oh God, that we would be a place where your awesome presence is seen a place of generosity, a place of grace, your community, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, as I mentioned in the announcements, my daughter Melinda gave birth to our fourth grandchild on Thursday. And, and as I looked at this photo taken of Annabelle and me, it reminded me, okay, so this photo here, yeah, I'm getting older, reminded me of a similar photo taken with me and our third grandchild, Jasmine, this one, which was actually taken in February of this year at our 15th anniversary celebration. Do you you remember that day at C.B. Smith Park? Probably the coldest day of the year. But we had a wonderfully warm time celebrating God's community, Palm Vista Community Church, and all that he has done in and through us. And and after looking at this picture of me and Jasmine, I, I then began to click through and look at some of the other pictures from that day, that 15th anniversary celebration day in February. And here are some that jumped out at me. Patrick, standing next to the life-size wooden figures he made of me and Corey that would later provide everyone much fun as they threw pies at them. I'm just glad that they threw the pies at the wooden figures and not at Corey and me. Susie and Cassie, who worked so hard at organizing all the games we played and made it such a fun day for the kids. Jose and Odie, who oversaw the event. Jose working hard with several other men to cook the food and Odie adding her Odie flair to make it a special day of honoring the Lord. Robbie and Tiffany, who provided a great puppet show for the kids. Carmen and Chloe Behar, who set up a face painting station for the kids. And and then these, these last two photos, representing all of you, Having fun, talking, eating, and enjoying God's grace, great grace. And, and as I looked at these photos, I realized that these were, were snapshots of who we are as God's community. Each one of us representing a facet of God's community. And friends, that is what this text today is. It's a photo. Actually, it's two photos. And these two photos weren't selected by me or any man. They were selected by God. And they were selected by God to reveal to us what his community, the church, looks like. Now, do you remember the last photo that we looked at in detail that revealed God's community? Corey called it a portrait, but it's when he was preaching from Acts 2, 42 to 47. Let's just take a look at that photo for a moment before we go to these next two photos in our text. But look at Acts 2, 42 to 47 for one of those photos of God's community, one of those snapshots of God's community. Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Do you notice some similarities already with what we're reading? They all were together, they all had everything in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved so so God took this photo Acts 2 42 to 47 now Do you remember when he took the photo? He took it right after the day of Pentecost, 
When he baptized his people in the spirit, a very important event in the history, the redemptive history of God's plan of redemption, he took it right after he baptized them in the spirit. What's interesting is the two photos we have today were taken by God and displayed for us by God right after he filled them with the spirit. Do you remember the sermon from last week? Of course you do. Acts 4.31. Please turn there. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So, these two new photos are of God's Spirit-filled community. Just like the photo in Acts 2, 42-47, was of God's Spirit-baptized community. And just as the photos that we see here aren't comprehensive pictures of everyone at the event on, in February. So these two photos aren't comprehensive photos, but they're accurate photos. They're accurate photos of what actually happened in the church, what the church is like. That's why God gives us these photos. That's why we must take a closer look at these photos. And in taking a closer look at these photos, we need to ask ourselves a question to sharpen our powers of observation. We need to look carefully at these photos and ask, what does God's community look like? You could do that if you looked at this photo. If you click back to the previous photos. What does it look like? There's a buzz up here. I don't know if you can get rid of it. If not, yeah, it's it's coming from the monitors. What does God's community look like? Or perhaps a better question is this, and this is a driving question for our message. What kind of place is God's community? What kind of place is God's community? This is the question that we need to have in our minds as we look at these two photos. What kind of place is God's community? Well, the first photo reveals the following. God's community is the place of great grace manifested in generosity toward one another. That's point one. God's community is the place of great grace manifested in generosity toward one another. And we see that in verses 32 to 37 of chapter 4. Drop down to verse 33 for a moment. Acts 4.33. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. Verse 34. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. So do you see where Acts 4.33 when it talks about great with great power they bore testimony to Jesus ties this one in with Acts 4.31 when it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God boldly. So we have a snapshot. Here in 4.31, they were filled with the Spirit. They spoke the word of God boldly. And then in in 43, it says, okay, what did that look like? Boom. This is what it looked like. Acts 4.32 to 5.11. These two photos are what the Spirit-filled community of God looks like. What kind of a place is it? And what we see here, firstly, 
It's a place of great generosity, great grace that is manifested in great generosity. They gave to one another. There was not a needy one among them, is what verse 34 says. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. So, so as, we, as we look at this snapshot, I mean, just think, we were looking at photos a moment ago. Just think we're looking now at a new photo in Acts 4, 32 to 37. Now I know what you do, it's what I do. As soon as I look at a photo of a group, my eyes go immediately to me. Where am I in the photo? Okay. But try to allow your eyes to go to where God wants your eyes to go through this text. So where does God want your eyes to go in this text? He wants your eyes to go to several features. Look at verse 32. They're united. They're united. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They were united. And this unity, this unity of heart and soul was manifested in generosity toward one another. Look what it says at the second part of verse 32. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to them was his own. But they had everything in common. Very similar to what it said in in, uh, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, when he's giving us that snapshot is that they they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And they had all things uh, were in common. Do you see that unity? Do you see that feature of the snapshot? This is a key feature of the community of God. We see generosity here in this text. God's spirit-filled community willingly views their possessions as in a radically new light. Not as mine, but as at the disposal of the God who created the community, who called us into the community, who saved us into the community. This God who, whose community it is that we're a part of. What we have is at his disposal. Now let me be very clear. These passages do not speak against private property. These passages do not outlaw private property. These passages do not teach some sort of whacked out communal communism, socialism. They don't. And people that use them to do that, and I'm thinking particularly liberation theology, mostly in Latin America, are wrong. So so property, private property, it's good, it's right. But what God is talking about here is not so much the physical ownership of that property, but he's talking about the spiritual disposition of your heart. Is it yours or is it God's? Is this mine to be used for what I want? Or is it God's and I'm simply a steward of it to be used to build his church and care for his people? If this is a picture, and everybody in the picture is living that way, I do want you to locate yourself in the picture. And I want to ask you a question. Do you fit in? How do you view your property? Is it your stuff? Is it yours to do with what you please? Do you simply kind of come to church on Sunday and give God a tip?
Have you ever seen those pictures where you look at the group and you say, I get it, everyone here belongs, but what's he doing in the picture? You know, the guy, you know, and it's just like, what, what, what's he doing there? You know, I think they call it photo bombing. Is that what it is? Is that what it is? Where they jump up and they go, ah! So you look at a picture and everybody, everybody's supposed to be there. And there's one, this one person. It's like, what are they doing in the picture? So when you look at this picture, do you belong? I'll never forget this. We were leaving Orlando in 1996 to come to Miami to plant the church. We left the day after Thanksgiving. We threw all four kids. I think Joy was not even two yet. Um, Threw them in a big U-Haul and drove down. And prior to leaving, uh, one of the pastors there, Wayne Brooks, and I became very good friends. And Wayne became aware of a need we had. Our car had broken down and we we needed a new vehicle. Got four kids. And I'll never forget, Wayne came up to me privately, and I have asked him permission to share this. And he said, look, uh, Sandy and I, his wife, have have a a fund that we set aside to be able to give away to help people. And so we want to give you, and it was a significant amount of money, this money to to buy a car. And I'll never forget, we bought a yellow Mercury Grand Marquis. I mean, it was like, you know... Honey, forgive me for this. It was a mafia mobile, okay? I mean, your uncles would all be driving this thing in Detroit, all right? You know, you had the, the four kids in the back, you know. It was just, I mean, it got like three miles to the gallon. But that was our transportation. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you saved up to be able to give it away? I mean, the last time you said, you know, guys, let's, Let's, let's do the 10% tithing, which I believe the Bible teaches. Let's do the 10% saving, which in today's world, <laughs> good luck. Uh, let's, let's do the 5 whatever, 3%, whatever percent. But you know what? Even if it's a dollar a week, kids, let's set up a fund so that if we see a need, that's a give it away to someone else, bless one another fund. This, this is what God's spirit-filled community looks like, guys. This is, the, this is the, the photo God gives us. He didn't Photoshop anything in there. They were there. They were doing it. The Spirit produces in us this kind of generosity to be disposed to care for the needy amongst us. It's God's heart. If you read your Bibles in the Old Testament, God is so concerned for the poor and the needy and the helpless. He judges his people for not caring for them properly. Because this is who God is, therefore this is who we are. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, which I read during the receiving of the offering. Jesus became poor that we might become rich. The gathering of God's community is a place, you want to know what kind of place it is? It's a place of generosity. It is a place of generosity. First, Christ's generosity toward us, and then our resultant generosity toward one another. We are generous people because God has been generous with us. Are you a generous person? Listen, it does begin with your heart. It's a heart disposition. It's not a monetary amount. Let me say that again. It's a heart disposition. It's not a monetary amount. I think it moves to your words. Are you generous with your words? But it's got to move to your pocketbook, man. Your deeds. As you can. Uh, I love what Stott says about this. He says that here we have this picture of the spirit-filled community of God 
And being filled with the Spirit is manifest in deed as well as word, in service as well as witness, in love for the family as well as testimony to the world. And and as we get this photo, it's like God points someone out in the photo. It's like, you know, you look at the photo like maybe 10 years from now. On one of these photos, if if we pull them up, you go, oh, look, look, there's Robbie and Tiffany. When Robbie still had hair. No, I'm just, I'm not predicting Robbie, okay? Please, brother, I love you, man. <laughs> or in my case, when, when Al still, you know, had, his hair was black and not gray now. So we highlight somebody. Well, in this photo, God highlights somebody. Check him out. Check him out. It's Barnabas. Now, dude's got two names. So he's Barnabas, sorry, he's Joseph, which I like that name. But the apostles just decide to call him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. See that? Verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas. Barnabas. Oh, Barnabas. It's like God is saying, you want to know what my community's like? This is what they look like, but look at that, look at that guy. He's a shining example. And here's what I would say to you. In this church, we have a lot of Barnabases. And by the way, Barnabas represents not only men, but women. And I'll tell you the Barnabases I'm thinking of right now. I'm thinking of many of the, of the, of the young women in our church in the Resolved Singles Ministry. And I'm searching for your faces And I just want to say to you, ladies, I felt from the Lord to just say to you, you are Barnabas. You are generous women. You are are godly women. You give of yourselves. And some of them aren't even seated here because they're serving right now in the back. But but you're Barnabas. And and I want you to hear God. He's pointing you out in the picture. He's saying, there's my Barnabas. There's my servant. I want you to hear that. So glad you're in this church. You you add so much. Thank God. These ladies have the same attitude that we've heard from others. And, and if you know of this famous missionary, Jim Elliott, who died at the age of 28, he was killed by Indians in Ecuador because he was testifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was this guy's uh, uh, attitude. And, and I saw a picture of him on the web. He was, he was a big, strapping, good-looking, athletic guy. I'm sure he had everything he wanted in front of him. But he knew it wasn't his, it was God's. And of course you've heard this. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Sorry, I did not plan for that emotion to come over me. Just take it as the Lord. I mean, isn't that the Lord? He gave, he served, he didn't come to get and say it's mine. He came to give. Friends, it is the Spirit who gives us this wisdom. It is the Spirit who dwells amongst us as God's people. It is the Spirit who makes us a community of great grace manifested in generosity toward one another. And thank you, all of you that do that. And if you don't fit in the picture, oh, God would gladly and is transforming you so that you would fit into that picture. Point two, second photo. Now, this photo is a little more difficult. I, I, I will grant you that. If, if this were a broadcast, uh, there, would be a, uh, there would be something on the bottom, you know, caution, you know, 
take the children out of the room, graphic content in this photo, in this report. Uh, it's graphic. I've read it and reread it, and there's just no way around it. The hand of the Lord takes the life of two people. But it's the photo God gives us of his community. So we must look at it. Point two. God's community is the place for God's holy presence by the Spirit. Let's just read it again together. I'll read it out loud. You read it silently. As I start reading, I want to teach you how to observe when you read. What's the first word there in 5.1? But. There's a reason that word's there. It's used because God wants you to read this in contrast to what you just read. What did you just read? What, was, what were the last two verses in uh, 4 all about? Who were they about? Barnabas. So what God is doing is, photo 1, this is my community. Photo 2, you're going to see a contrast between Joseph or Barnabas and someone else. And God wants you to understand that. You need to pay attention to that. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, just like Barnabas did. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. Barnabas did not do that. And brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, Barnabas did lay his at the apostles' feet. But what's the, you should be asking yourself, what's the immediate difference? They're holding something back. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, verse 3. But Peter, because imagine they come, they're going to lay it at their feet. Kind of a symbol of, you know, this is before the Lord. It kind of, you, you lay things at the feet of a king. P- Peter's not the king. Jesus is the king, but he's his representative. This is for the church. This is for God. Listen to what Peter says to him. Amazing. I mean, what preacher would tell someone bringing an offering? And it may have been a sizable offering. I mean, Ananias' property may have been five times the size of Barnabas's. He may have been bringing in several million dollars. I don't know. And Barnabas maybe only brought in a couple of thousand. Only? We take both, okay? Uh, but, but, but who knows? But that's not the point. Scripture doesn't tell us amounts. It's not about amounts. It's about heart. Can you imagine a preacher, when someone brings an offering, saying what Peter said to them? Well, yes, I can if the Spirit is leading him to do it. Listen to what Peter says. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So here's another contrast. Who filled Barnabas' heart? Holy Spirit. Remember, this photo came right after they were filled with the Spirit. Who's filling Ananias' heart? Satan. So you need to highlight these contrasts. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? How did Peter know that? Holy Spirit told him. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? This is is proof here that private property is fine. The issue is not some sort of communal thing here. No, no, no. It was his. He could do with it as he pleased, as God put in his heart to do. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. By the way, proof of the deity of the Holy Spirit. Do you notice that he said, you lie to the Holy Spirit at the end of verse 3. Your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And at the end of verse 4, you have not lied to man, but to God. Holy Spirit is fully God. See, so we have this stark contrast between Barnabas and Ananias. Uh, 
let me just let me just say this. Point two is difficult, but I believe what point two is about. If you could just put this hook in the wall and then hang all the stuff I'm about to say on this hook, okay? But I think what it's about, point two is about, is that God's community isn't just a place of great grace and generosity. It's the place of God's presence. And so what God's doing here is he is zealous. He is energetic. He is serious. He is here. And he's saying, my community is is me. And I will protect the holiness and the character of truthfulness. And and this is who... Don't mess with my community. You're messing with me. Now, please pardon my inability to say things sometimes well, but you get what I'm saying. I think the big hook here is God's community is where God's presence is and he's holy and he's serious about making us into his image. And he's serious about this. Now, notice that Satan appears here, right? Because... Um, Peter said to him in verse 3, why has Satan filled your heart? And I just want to tell you this, um, that this is Satan's really first appearance here uh, in the book. Um, and, And it's really his first appearance since his sound defeat at the resurrection. So that would have been months ago, don't know how many months ago, but at least a couple of months earlier. But he's back. He's back and he's using Ananias and Sapphira to oppose God and to oppose his community. And he's trying, Satan is trying to destroy the community through deceit and greed. So Satan in this text is trying to enter the community from within and destroy it from within. Now next week we're going to see where Satan comes from without in persecution and is trying to destroy the community through violence and force. As a matter of fact, all the way through like chapter 6, what we're going to be seeing now in the next couple of weeks is Satan's counterattack on God and his community. But that's not what God highlights here. Satan gets a small reference. You know what's highlighted in this photo, in this second photo? God. God, God's holy presence, God's judgment, God's seriousness about keeping his community pure and holy and right. God and his people. God is the one highlighted in this second photo. Yes, Ananias and Sapphira, they're put up as contrast to Joseph Barnabas. Yes, that is true. But the the main actor here is God. Oh, sure, he uses Peter. But it's God. It's God. That's that hook I want you to put in the wall as we hang some of these things on. So yes, Satan is counterattacking his people, God's people. We're going to see that in the next couple of verses, chapters. But remember this, Satan can do nothing that God does not permit. And it is Christ who builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And friends, this narrative, <clears throat> believe it or not, when people read it through the centuries but particularly in the first century. This narrative greatly encouraged the first century believers who were under attack. And it greatly encourages us 21st century believers who were under attack. Satan continues to oppose God. He continues to seek to destroy God's community from within and from without. Through deceit and greed and through violence, persecution. But God who's greater, God who rules, God whose decrees will happen, God who controls everything. Satan can do nothing lest God allow it. 
continues to build his community, his church. So friends, we must fight. We must continue to fight the good fight of faith when the attacks come from within, when the attacks come from without. For Christ has won the victory on the cross and that victory is played out in our lives as a community. This is how it gets played out. We are filled with the Spirit. Remember the first photo. We're a Spirit-filled community, a place of great grace manifested in generosity toward one another. This is who we are by our birth in Christ. Now, as we look at this second photo, what we see is God is the main actor. And what is God doing? He is judging a serious act of deceit, a serious act of rebellion. He's judging people who don't take him seriously nor his church seriously. It's just a game for them. It's a game of appearances. They they are taking the sacred and making it somewhat vulgar. They're playing games, embezzling, as it were, lying, deceiving, putting on airs. Oh, friends, this is serious stuff. And, And what's interesting here is we look at Ananias and Sapphira. I want you to write this down. Achan, A C H A N, Achan. And go turn to Joshua 7, not now, but later. And many commentators say a couple of things about Ananias and Sapphira. Number one, they sort of point to Adam and Eve who, de- who rebelled against God and did what God said don't do. But also their sin is, is similar to the sin of Achan. And what Achan did is he was part of Israel when it was first coming into the promised land. And there was this battle at Jericho and they defeated Jericho and they were told don't take anything from the city. It's not yours. It's all to be destroyed. And Achan stole some stuff. And they go into the next town to do battle, Ai. And because Achan had stole stuff, there was sin in the camp, they lost the battle in Ai. And then God exposed Achan, called him out, and Achan was judged and destroyed. And then they went on to conquer the land. Well, many commentators, F.F. Bruce actually says the following, the story of Ananias is to the book of Acts what the story of Achan is to the book of Joshua. In both narratives, an act of deceit interrupts the victorious progress of the people of God. Peterson would say it this way, that that this serious act of deceit from Ananias marked the early life of the New Testament church, just as Achan's act marked or affected the, the, the life of the Old Testament church. In the early lives of these two groups of people, these two gatherings of God's people, you've got kind of similar sins here. And so so God is highlighting for us how serious he is about keeping his people pure. Keeping his people pure. So what was their sin? Well, let's go back to chapter 5. We see in verse 3 that his sin was that he lied to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Um, I would say this. Lying is never a good idea. And sin is always temporary insanity. But perhaps the height of not a good idea and the height of insanity is trying to lie to God. It, it, it doesn't... It doesn't work very well. 
we see that Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, lays bare their lie in verse 5. Look at it. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. What's interesting about the sentence on Ananias is that there was no opportunity for him to repent. Now this is the part of this text that's hard to explain. I can't. But here's what I can do. I can appeal to you. I can appeal to you that if you are in a place where you are lying you must understand that you are lying to God, not man. And that God, if you are a believer, if you are part of this community, is serious about maintaining this community pure and holy. Unlike Ananias, you're not dead. You could be, and God would be right to do that. But if you're still breathing, then here's the takeaway. God is giving you a chance to repent. He's giving you a chance that Ananias did not have. Because God's holy presence is what is at stake here. God's holy presence. God is zealous about his people and making them holy. And so if that's you this morning, I would just appeal to you, in the name of the Lord, run to him, ask for mercy, and then immediately go and tell the truth. It will set you free. Walk, run to the light. Run out of the darkness. For God is serious about maintaining his church holy. He guards her. He purifies her from all lawlessness. Now I want to go back to another point here. And this hook that we're hanging this truth on. And that's the point of verse 4. It's important to note in point four, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. It's important to note in verse four that Ananias and Sapphira were under no obligation at all to sell their property, nor to give all the money to the church. Remember, it's a voluntary generosity that is the picture of God's community, God's spirit-filled community. God, God is looking at the heart in this matter. God is asking us all, where is your heart? Why? Because where your heart is, there your treasure, your money will follow. So, so God is saying, where, where's your heart? The answer is, where's your money? Where's your money? Folks spend enormous amounts of money to do what they really love. So just open your checkbook, which none of us have anymore, but go online and look on your bank account. (laughs) Friends, God isn't after your money. He's after your heart. He wants you. He calls you and me to be His holy people, His community, the place for God's holy presence By the Spirit. And He will have that community. 
Look at the two passages that speak of this great fear. At the end of five, great fear came upon all who heard of it. And in chapter and verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This word fear is the Greek word phobos. And really, really, it, it, it can be translated reverence and awe. I think, I think that Ananias and Sapphira's main sin, yes, was against God. Yes, it was in rebellion against God. But I think what, is, what it was is that they did not take seriously God's people. They disregarded the presence of God in his church. Do you? Do you come here and get a little bit distracted by the surroundings, or by the preachers, or by the people? Oh, please understand this. This is the place of God's presence. Ananias and Sapphira Sapphira disregarded that. They disregarded the sacredness of the fellowship in God's community. They disregarded the relational aspect of their sin. I mean, what they tried to do, if you read this carefully, is they tried to pretend to be who they weren't. They tried to pretend to be seen as more generous than they really were. They embezzled funds that were set aside for God. They, they saw as almost uh, ordinary what is the very place of God's presence. And God came and said, I will defend and protect and establish my holy place. Yes, it was greed. Yes, it was deceit. And God found them out. He called them out. Peter says to him, you lied to the Holy Spirit. He says to Sapphira, why did you test the Holy Spirit? And God is saying to us today, you you cannot test me. The very spirit who makes this church holy is my place. I know this is a heavy message, but it's the photo God gave us, isn't it? We've got to look at it. We can't bury it behind other photos. And it begs some questions. And here's, here are the questions that it begs. Where is your heart? What is of value to you this morning? What do you love? Do you love money? And all it brings, is there greed in your heart? Certainly there was in Ananias and Sapphira's hearts. Do you love reputation? Are you consumed by what others think of you? Do you crave a good reputation in the sense of being seen for more than you really are? Pretending to be what you're not. That's hypocrisy. Do you care more about what, about what others perceive you to be than who you really are? Or who God sees you to be, which is one and the same. Is there the deceit of hypocrisy in your heart? Do you understand that God sees all and knows all? I mean, the picture I got when I was preparing this was of little Mary, David and Melinda's oldest, and we were running around playing hide and seek and it's funny, there would be this time where, you know, she's hiding from me. 
right out in the open. But she's got her hands over her eyes. So in her view, she, I can't see her. Are you doing that with God right now? Listen, God will find you out. Every lie will be revealed. If you test God, you will lose. But there's another way. There's a way of mercy. There's a way of reverencing God. That word, they feared him. Phobos, they reverenced him. It was a place of great reverence and awe. We saw in the photo that Corey preached from in Acts 2, 44. It's a place of awe. The antidote to not regarding God's holiness and God's presence and God's people and God's community is to, is to be in awe of God. To let him fill your eyes so that you might understand how serious God is about his community. Maybe for some of us, the takeaway for this message is God give us a healthy sense of awe and reverence for you and your people. Well, friends, it's significant in verse 11 that here we find the very first usage of the word church in Luke's writings. Look at verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This is the very first time that the word church, the Greek word used here is ekklesia, is used to designate the Christian community in Luke's writings. It has a range of meaning, this Greek word ekklesia. It's this Greek word really has a range of meanings, but I believe the key meaning is the assembly of people. In, in the Greek of that day, ecclesia was used for the assembly of all the citizens in a Greek city-state. So assembly of people. But this Greek word ecclesia was used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Hebrew, Old Testament written in Hebrew. It was translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And when they translate the word, this certain word in the Hebrew, they use ekklesia. And the word that they translated in the Hebrew is the word kahal. It's a very important word in Hebrew. And it means the assembly of Israel, the people of God. So what's the point, Al? Here's the point. The clear, purposeful use of this word church First time Luke uses it in his writings to describe God's people, God's community. The clear, purposeful use of this word church is designed to teach us what I think is the main point here in two, is that God is serious about his community, his assembled people, his congregation. He's been serious about them from the beginning. Old Testament church, Kahal, the assembled. New Testament church, Ecclesia, the assembled, the congregation. He's serious about them. He's serious about them being in reverence and awe of him so that he would be glorified, he would be presented And that's why God gives us these two photos. To remind us who we are, his spirit-filled community, and to show us what kind of place we should be. We should be a place of great grace manifested by generosity and a place of of, of God's holy presence by the Spirit. Are you in awe of God? Are you in awe of his community? Let us cry out to God for his grace and mercy that we might receive those right now. Let's pray.